following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, well, we are continuing our study this morning of the book of Colossians, so you can find your place there in chapter 3. I remember, vaguely, but I remember when I built my first deer stand. It was um, about 25 years ago, and uh, I know deer stands have come a long way since then, and but where I was hunting at the time and the resources available to me at the time, uh, the deer stands I built, it was wood and a combination of nails and screws, but it was simple. It was uh, a platform designed to be nailed to a tree or screwed into a tree with a ladder and maybe a little support, you know, just the most basic lean-to type of thing you can imagine. But here's the problem. At that time in my life, uh, I know this will be hard for some of y'all to imagine, but I wasn't all that smart, and um, I didn't plan that well, and I, I just knew what I wanted the end result to look like and to accomplish, but I didn't, I didn't have a plan, I, and I, I didn't have a, a blueprint. I just kind of, I, I had a hammer, and I had some nails, and I had some wood, and I had a drill and some screws, and I said, and I saw, and I said, how hard could it be? Because I had the picture in my mind. Well, long story short, the first deer stand I built, uh, nobody should have gone up in it. Uh, it was not safe at all. And uh, that taught me a very valuable lesson it might pay off to take some time beforehand and plan some things out a little better. Maybe investigate and research, maybe find some other people who had built deer stands and who knew kind of what they were doing and maybe that would help me. What I needed was a proven blueprint. And so now, over the years, I've built other deer stands that have come out way better, way more safe and secure and sturdy and roomy and, uh, and, and nice, you know, shooting rails and covers and, you know, walls and, and nice. Of course, then now, I found out there's places that sell deer stands. And so you don't even have to go through all that and just buy one. But they're put together better because they're built by people who know what they're doing that follow a plan and a blueprint. Right? So, last week we were talking about in Colossians putting off the old self right, with its filthy, sinful nature and putting on the new man with the I think what I phrase it, put on the graces of Christ 
You know, put off the old self, put on the new self. And the last thing that Paul told us in last week's passage, and if you look right in your Bible, you'll see it because it's verse 17. He said, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. It doesn't matter what you do, whether it's words or actions, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, which means, you know, Jesus is there. He can sign off on what you're doing. And, and so He's uh, giving uh, approval to what you're doing or saying. And we're giving thanks to Him. So I was just curious, if that's what we're supposed to do, what, what does that look like? Maybe in more particular terms, maybe more specific applications. So Paul begins to close out this letter to this church by instructing them on some ways to behave at home or behave at work or behave in the church or just behave in general in a way that kind of uh, fulfills that instruction in verse 17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, this is a way that's going to help us, I believe, properly reflect the image of Christ. Because that's who we represent. So, unlike what I did in trying to build a deer stand without a blueprint, God gives us a blueprint. And His blueprint is unique because He's the only one that created us. And so He knows exactly what works the best. And, and you know, we've tried to improve on it over the years. Humanity is, is funny like that. We always... We have this self-discovery thing going on where we always think we know a better way than God. And every single time, maybe, maybe sooner, maybe later, but eventually we find out you just can't improve on God's plan because He knows what He's doing. And the sooner we realize that and the sooner we start following that, uh, the better off we are. So let me read this passage for us today. It's, uh, starting in verse 18, chapter 3, going down to the very first verse of chapter 4. And uh, here's what the Bible says. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. All right, shall we pray? No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. I couldn't. Uh, all right. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. 
For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he's done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Father, I thank you for your word today, and I pray that having heard it, that we'll be able to understand it, and then having understood we'll be able to do what it says so that we'll bring glory to your name. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an interesting part of Scripture, and it's not totally unique because there are several different places where relationships of all sorts are discussed in the Bible. But every time we get to something like this it's almost like you can feel you can just kind of feel the tension in the room a little bit you know I, I, I can, can y'all feel it? I can feel a little bit of tension but here's the thing I think our understanding of scriptures is crucial maybe even directly related to our level of tension that we feel Here's what I mean by that. There's another spot in Ephesians 5 that Paul goes into great detail about marriage relationship and husbands and wives and children and all these things. Uh, and he uses, he uses similar language. But in that passage, there's 12 verses. Only three of them talk to the woman and nine of them talk to the man. And, and here it's just much more brief. But here's what I really want to get across about this first section. Because it's talking about wives, husbands, children, fathers. In fact, I'll go ahead and put the first point up here for the, for the message. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. This, it breaks down pretty easily. Number one, follow God's blueprint at home. Follow God's blueprint at home. Okay? But let me say a little bit about that. Because there's sometimes some misunderstanding about this relationship and how it works itself out and men and women and all these things and uh, there's a I don't know, the subject of equality comes up sometimes and, and that's not at all what is happening here. So if you go back to Genesis, back to the very beginning, to the relationship between Adam and Eve and their arrangement in the garden and then their sin and then the resulting consequences, here's what you see. You see some very key details about that relationship. First of all, Eve was not yet created when all of the commands were given to Adam. So the only way Eve could have possibly known what to do later on when the serpent shows up is because Adam had to pass that information along. So Adam was ultimately responsible for making sure that Eve was properly informed about what was expected of them both by God, the creator of the universe. But do you notice who the serpent went to? He didn't go to Adam. He went to Eve. Anybody want to take a stab at why that's the case? It's because he was subverting the order of creation and the design of God. That's what the devil does with everything 
that pertains to God. He, he distorts it. So here's what the conversation looked like. I know this is kind of remedial, but I, I think it's very important because the text here that we're studying is very direct and very clear. But if you don't have the background and the context, you may not really fully grasp what's happening. So when the serpent shows up to Eve, you remember what he said? He said, hey, uh, why don't you eat that fruit? And Eve said, no, no, we can't do that. We can have anything else, but we can't have this. We can't even touch it or else we'll die. You remember what the serpent said? Did God really say that? Now let's stop there for a second. How would, know, how would Eve know what God really said? She wasn't even alive. But Adam told her, Right, so, so the serpent is immediately calling into question the Word of God. And in case you're, if you're keeping score at home, you need to put a big highlight star on that. Because every single time the devil gets up in your business and tries to get you to do something wrong, it always involves some distortion of what God said. And so, so here's a, a, a key principle here for life. You want to stay away from the, the deception of the devil? Stay in your Bible. Stay in the Word of God. Don't let the devil distort what God says to us. Because you know the rest of the story. Because then the devil told Eve, still hadn't talked to Adam, told Eve, no, that's not what he said. You won't die if you eat that. God's just holding out on you because He knows when you eat it, then you'll be like Him and you'll know everything and, and He doesn't want that. So now he's, he's called God a liar and He's painted His character as um, authoritarian or um, holding out or deceptive. So he, He's not just called into question what God said, He called into question who God is. And when we start questioning God in His character or His Word, then we are on very, very dangerous ground. Because that's what happens. And so, fast forward, they sin, their eyes are open, they run off and cover themselves up, God shows up, they hide, like you can hide from God, and God... Do you remember who he called out to? Who was he looking for? He was looking for Adam. Now why is that? Eve was the one who talked to the serpent. Who was responsible? Adam. Adam was responsible for that whole debacle. He was, he was responsible. He was accountable to God. He was the one who received the instruction... He was the one who was responsible for making sure his bride knew what was going on. And he failed miserably. And by the way, where was Adam the whole time this conversation was going on between Eve and the serpent? He was standing right there. Because the Bible says when they decided to eat, Eve took the fruit and ate it, gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. So, question. What was Adam supposed to do? 
He was supposed to stomp that snake into oblivion and put an end to the conversation because he was supposed to be the spiritual leader of that situation and he didn't. He didn't fulfill his responsibilities. And now here we are. So when you read these few verses here in the Colossians and then over in Ephesians 5, understand what's going on. Many, many times when our sisters, guys are talking to you, when our sisters in Christ are almost forced to pick up slack in the community or in the church or in the home, you know why? It's because some man somewhere has failed and not done his job. And so, ladies, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to apologize on behalf of the entire male side of the species when I say, I'm sorry that you have been put in such a predicament and had to do things and cover for things and, and pick up slack where you shouldn't have to. And, and men, what's our problem? Really, what's the problem? We've got more than enough instruction. And by the way, um, ladies, you're, you get off completely free here because whatever, if, if by chance, and all the amazing things that our sisters do, uh, if you were happen to make a mistake or, or feel like you didn't do everything you were trying to do, it's all right. You're, you're not accountable for it. How about that? Adam was accountable. Not Eve. So when I read these verses, I want you to understand fully the background of these simple sentences that Paul was inspired to write down. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Defer to your husband. Be willing to uh, walk beside him. The husband has been put in this position of spiritual leadership. But let me tell you three things about that submission. The wife's attitude is prompted or even warranted by her husband's unselfish love. And the submission is to be voluntary, not required. And you might think, well, why voluntary? Why does it say it's fitting in the Lord? It's because a, a man of God... Please listen, this is, this is the root of so much problem in the world. A man of God would be loving the woman God gives to him so unselfishly and so sacrificially and so unconditionally that any woman would be thankful to submit to that, to that type of servant leadership. It would be a joy. So, so just please understand, this is not a command to be feared or to be felt like you're being held under. This is a command to, where can I find somebody like that? That's the question that should be asked. It's not about equality. All people, regardless of any of our earthly 
qualifiers, whether it be age or sex or ethnicity or social standing or any of those, we are all on equal footing before the cross of Christ. But when it comes to the order of things in God's economy, we have responsibilities. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be embittered against them. There's one thing for the wife to do, two things for the husbands to do. Love your wives. It's the supreme duty of the husband. It's a present command. It means keep on loving. It's the word uh, with the root word agape. So it's that kind of love. Agape love. Sacrificial. Unconditional. Self, uh, selfless. I was going to say unselfish, but selfless love. Caring. A deliberate attitude that's more concerned with the well-being of someone else than themselves. Don't be embittered against them. Another present command. Stop being embittered. Don't have the habit of being embittered against them. Christ-like, sacrificial leadership by the husband means that the ultimate good of his wife is always in view. You lead by serving. Children. Now this is personally my favorite verse. Verse 20. Children. I wish my other two were here right now. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. So parents, what you might want to do is if your kids have a Bible, you want to go back this afternoon and find their Bible and turn to that verse and highlight it and mark the page and leave it open on their bed. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's also a present command. Keep on obeying. It's supposed to be a habit, a readiness to hear and carry out instruction in all things. It's complete obedience. It means Christian attitudes uh, by the parents ought to then also lead to easier obedience by the kids. So, I found out this little equation, and here's what it looks like. It's, 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 I think it's truly Baptist because it's alliterated. It's all starting with the same letter R. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. If there's no relationship of love and care, but there's lots of rules and commands, there's going to be rebellion in that process. If there's a good relationship, then those rules don't seem so harsh, right? Because it's coming from a place of love and care. Obedience of the children pleases the Lord. It's the nature of the godly relationship between parents and children. It's all complementary. It's all supposed to work together. And it feeds off each other. Each, each responsibility feeds off the other. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't lose heart. You ever seen somebody who just, they just look like they've, I don't know, maybe they just lost all motivation. They're just kind of, like maybe you've seen it on a job. Like they're there and they're doing the work, but they're not happy about it. They just like have no, no motivation at all to do what they're doing. They're still doing it, but it's just, it's just not happening, you know. 
That's what can happen if you provoke, stir up, exasperate kids. When you give them rules or discipline, but there's no accompanying love and care and compassion and grace and mercy. It's got to be a, a, a total package. Because firm discipline might be necessary, but it has to be given in the right spirit. Otherwise, they'll lose heart. They'll become discouraged. They'll become disheartened. Because, you know, you, you need to discipline your kids, parents. I know kids don't like that. I didn't like it. I, I got a whipping every night whether I needed it or not. And, and most times I needed it. In fact, I probably needed a few more than I got because there's probably enough things I didn't know about that, you know. Oh, man, this is on live stream, too. Hope my, my dad, maybe not. Maybe he's not going to watch. Well, it's all right. He's, he's 81 years old now. Maybe I can outrun him. Um, so what I'm saying is discipline is necessary. Proverbs 22.15 Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. What I'm, what I'm getting at here in this paragraph is God has a plan. He's got a blueprint. He's got a, an order of things. And it is tried and true. It works. The, the reason things get messed up is because we we veer off for whatever reason. And, and listen to me. We Sometimes we veer off. Sometimes we get veered off. I understand. It's not our intention. But the point of this passage is that God's blueprint works. And we should follow it at every opportunity at all costs. Number two, the last part. Follow God's blueprint at work. Now one thing I will say before I get into these last couple of verses is that it's important to remember here that the church is a very small minority within the Roman world at this stage of the game, okay? Which means we need to understand that the church did not condone slavery. So when you see these words and these phrases, understand what's being said here. They're, they're living in a world where this is more of the norm. And so Paul's writing to their culture and their life and what they're having to deal with. So slavery was just a part of the Roman way of life. So what we can understand by application, the teaching that Paul gives us here is you can very easily apply this to working relationships, supervisors, employees, bosses, that type of thing going on. This, this concepts here uh, apply to those things very well and very appropriately. So understand, when you see a, a word like slaves, think in your mind uh, employees with supervisors or managers or bosses. And you see masters, think of the supervisor or the boss or the the CEO, so to speak, that type of relationship. So what does he say for us in those circumstances? Slaves, workers, employees, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with literally eye service. In other words, well, I'll do a good job as long as somebody's watching, but as soon as they get out of the room, I'm going to ease up a little bit. 
Well, that's not exactly what we're supposed to be doing. He says, with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And follows that up with, whatever you do, do your work, literally here, from the heart, as for the Lord and not for men. So here's the principle that's being given to us here. If I have a job, then I have to have the perspective Whatever my supervisor's like, whether good or bad, whether fair or unfair, just or unjust, I'm not ultimately working for that person. I'm working for Jesus. I have to remember that in everything I do, I'm working for Jesus, and I'm trying to honor Jesus. I'm trying to please Him. I'm not trying to please some person. Our, our, our perspective has to be higher than that. And that will help us with our uh, work ethic. Because if I think all the time that I'm serving Jesus and I'm not just working for this boss or that supervisor or whomever, then that will change my way of thinking. Because has anybody ever worked for a, a bad supervisor, manager, boss, something like that? Anybody? I see you back there. Yeah, I, and I agree. Uh, many of us have. Many of us have. And, and you know what? If we focus all our attention on that bad element and how that makes us feel, maybe discouraged or demeaning or you know uh, ungrateful, it's like you know we can't do anything right, or or maybe it's just completely unfair. Like we're doing our job and it's seen differently, you know, all kind of different things can be happening. Maybe we're overworked, underpaid, and all that. But if we approach that situation with the attitude of that's the only person in my view, then you know what's going to happen to our perspective? It's just going to get worse and worse and worse, and we're going to be more and more and more upset at that person. It's going to affect the way we work. It's going to affect those around us. And, most importantly, it's going to affect the way we represent Jesus. Because if I, have a, if I am so frustrated with a person and I let that go untended, then what happens when the person that I've been praying for, that I've been hoping that, and hoping that they will... Let me tell them about Jesus. Or maybe they'll come to church when I invite them or, or something like that. And they observe my attitude or my words toward that person or, or the, my reaction in a situation. I've just, I may have just set my, my progress back by weeks or months. And that may affect their view of the gospel. And so Paul's trying to help us see we need to remember we're, we're serving Jesus. Ultimately, we're, I'm not working for a person. I'm working from my heart as for the Lord in verse 23. Because I know that the Lord's going to give me a reward, the inheritance of, of glory. It's, look at verse 24. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. We have to remember who's ultimately watching. 
Because I tell you this, if I if I have it if I have it in my mind all the time that I'm serving Jesus and I'm just not not focused on a person, that is going to make my work better. It's going to make my attitude better. Because if I can dwell on a, a bad personality, I can dwell on a, a, a situation where I don't feel like I'm being treated correctly, or I can look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith. And I won't lose heart. I'll serve Him and I can have joy knowing that, hey, you know what? They treated Him way worse than I'm being treated. I'm going to serve Jesus and I'm going to do my best for Him, not for this fool over here. I'm going to serve Jesus and do my best for Him. And He's going to reward me because He sees everything. Verse 25, He who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he's done and that without partiality. You know what that means? That last little phrase there, that's good. You know what that means? There's a, listen here. You, you all know as well as I do. There is social standing on earth. Right? Some people just get treated differently, don't they? Maybe it's because of their bank account. Maybe it's because of who they know. Maybe it's because of who their grandfather was or who their uncle is or whatever. Who, who knows? Some people get preferential treatment and some people just don't. But guess what? God who sees everything and sees your struggle and sees your labor and sees your attitude when you're able to focus on Christ and serve with a good heart even though you're being treated horribly, you're going to get a reward and they're going to get what's coming to them. Leave room for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Folks, we don't have to get back at this person or that person. It's so hard to put that away. So hard. You just want to, you know, do something about it. But God sees it. He sees every instance. He knows your heart. He has a reward for you. And He's got, barring repentance and faith on the part of the other, He's got nothing but wrath for them. God's got your back. Every time, all the time. We can, we can rest in that. We can, we can put away those feelings that, we're, that are so strong to want to defend ourselves. God's going to do it. And He's not just going to do it. He's going to do it better than we would. In fact, there's a <laughs> there's this little there's this little uh, reel going along social media that says uh, now I'm gonna let Jesus handle that because if I handle it I'm gonna go to jail. <laughs> and that hey, there's a lot of truth in that. Just let Jesus handle. It. Don't get tangled up in the nonsense. No matter what type of work we're engaged in as Christians, we are supposed to see it as service rendered 
to the Lord. It'll, it'll change your whole perspective. We are representing Jesus. And the last verse here, uh, the first verse of chapter 4, that speaks to supervisors, employers, bosses, managers, it tells them to grant justice and fairness knowing that you too have a master in heaven. In other words, you might be boss of this company, but you're not boss of the world. There is someone over you, and they do have a say-so. So you should treat those who are under you in this structure of employment, you should treat them with righteousness and fairness, justice and equity. Don't just give them enough to get by. And by the way, if all employers followed this and had this perspective, we would never have a labor problem. Because if, if those in authority treated those under them with godly principles, it'd make the employee's job a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? Everything would... See? Because God's blueprint works. It works. We just don't always go by. So how do we conclude this? Here's basically what, what we can conclude from this passage other than the, the obvious pieces of the blueprints. Because Paul left us with some simple truth and we can apply it to our everyday lives. We can apply it at home. We can apply it at work. Just out in general. There, there are multiple places to apply these truths. But here's the thing. If we're going to be in a part of God's family then we ought to do our best to reflect God in the family. If we're going to be a, be a part of God's family, we should do our best to reflect God at work. That, that's, that goes together. And it's, it's so interesting to me how the different things that, that we can get excited about. Now, I'm, I get excited about hunting. I get excited about football. You know, and sometimes like we might get excited to to go to a a fish fry or somebody's doing barbecue or or maybe we're having a a Sunday school party or something at somebody's house and we, we get excited about we I think sometimes we could get more excited about going to a Sunday school party than we do get excited about going to Sunday school. I'm just, I'm just saying. Seems like so, sometimes I think people get more excited about going other places than they do about coming to church on Sunday morning, or, or especially Sunday night or Wednesday night. Did y'all know? Did y'all know we meet on Sunday night and Wednesday night? We do. Every week, with a couple of exceptions, but every week. But the, the truth is, in the world we're living in right now, there's so many distractions. More and more people are just not getting excited about God at all. And the things of God 
That's why it's not that people aren't getting excited about coming to Sunday school or coming to church or coming Sunday night or Wednesday night. It's we're not as excited about God. And He's He's the out of everything in the world. God is He, he deserves He deserves our excitement. I mean, He deserves everything. There's so many other things that distract us, and I'm going to tell you the truth, especially this week. We Every day we make decisions. We choose how we're going to spend our time. We choose where we're going to go, who we're going to be around, And I just, I just wonder if, you know, I said about verse 17 last week, I said, it's as if Jesus is just with you all the time and he's signing off. You know, you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's like he's signing off. And I just wonder, you know, we, we make all these decisions. So I, I, I wonder if he really was sitting right there with us. Would that affect our schedule? Just a question. Let me close with this quote. I'll put it up on the screen there and you can read it. It's when we enter the sacred precincts of the heart we suddenly lose all enthusiasm. I get excited when I'm going to watch Clemson football. I really do. I get excited when I'm getting in the woods early in the morning, quiet. And it was a new moon, so it was dark. Especially if it rained a little bit the night before, I can walk in real soft, no no noise. Watch the sun come up. Hope for something standing out there. I get excited. But I tell you, I tell you what, and then it's just a confession. I ought to be way more excited about Jesus than any of that. And it's when I when I realize I'm not. That means. Everything's not exactly right. Because I shouldn't be more fired up about a football game or a particular spot in the woods than I am about Jesus. And that's just the truth. And we got to, we got to uh, make peace with that. And we got to respond. So I don't know what God's going to tell you to do today. I don't, I don't know if He's speaking to you now. I don't know if, if He's put some little ideas in your mind. Maybe he's, he's touched your heart a little bit. And maybe He's made you think about I don't know what. I don't know what's going on in your life. Uh, just like you don't know every detail that's going on in mine. I've told you a little bit. but I just know there's every one of us has something that gets us really, really charged up.
And I'm, I'm betting it may not be Jesus. And that's a problem. But he can make it right. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.